Sally Beauty's new all-in-one hair color kits make it easy to color your hair at home. Get everything you need to color for beautifully radiant results. Loved by professionals, open to everyone. Sally Beauty. And we're here on Liquid Lunch. It's me, Hugh Sanders here. It's Wednesday today, Sandra. March. 30th. <laughs> one more day in March. Yeah, one more day. Wow, and then... And then and it's April. April Fool's. Which is also Lalo's birthday, but that's another oh. story. <laughs> At least she says That's a beautiful is. day to be born. Uh, yeah, I guess. It is, actually. You have to have a good sense of humor if you're born April 1st. Yeah, because... Yeah. But let's, let's get busy. We have Phil Pendry here. We're very yeah. glad to have him in here, and we've already we've been having a great conversation. Yeah, we've right? officially started the interview. So, Phil. Yes. So, what can we say? You're, uh, you've been doing, f you're a, I guess you're a filmmaker, right? That's uh, why he's named Phil. Cinematographer and director. And director. And you've been uh, doing news stories since I've got your... Uh, since I was 14 years old. And where, uh, what year was that? <laughs> 1942, because during the war in England, we lived um, near Denham Studios, and instead of going to school, I used to watch them making movies, and there was a shortage of men, because everybody was called up in the army, right. and when I was 14 and a half, they came up to me, and I was watching them, instead of going to school, he says, do you want a job? Because I was watching them make The Thief of Baghdad, and I said, yes. They said, what do you want to do? I said, I'd like to be on the cameras, and they said, yeah, he gave me a union card, and at 14 and a half, I started in the movie business. Wow. And then I got, then about when I was 17, I got called up into the army. That would have been what, 45? 44, 45, yeah. So that was pretty good timing. Just at the end of the war, yes. Yeah. And since they, um, when I joined the army, they had seen I'd been in a, in a, not a cameraman, then just an assistant. I was a clapper boy, you know, 34881. Oh, okay. So they gave me a camera and my first job with the Allied War Crimes Commission. We, w we went round at the end of the war, all the concentration camps, looking for Allied prisoners of war that had been put into concentration camps and that had escaped and instead of going back to POW camps, they'd put them into concentration camps and died. So the Nuremberg trials, they were going to... Um, kind of get them on the Geneva Convention, which was ridiculous. I mean, you know, how many troops are we talking about? Maybe three to four hundred maximum, right? Mm -hmm. But never mind the six million other people that were killed. And we did a, we went round the camps looking for them. And that was, that was to say horrific, mm -hmm. because I was totally embarrassed by it. You stand there, and you're in a camp, and these people are have, are coming up to you and so what you do is you use the camera as a barrier between you and reality and this is very important when you're covering a conflict or covering anything the camera acts as a, a barrier between you and what's actually happening so it's you can photograph something that's really bloody but when you put the camera down that's reality when you put the camera back up, you've anesthetized the, your visual perception with the camera. Now, unfortunately, we've done that with the general public. I think the public have been anesthetized um, with so much 
violence mm -hmm. that today we accept all kinds of other violence and we've anesthetized the visual perception of the public with the amount of violence that we show on television. But, do, okay, so, so there's a lot to unpack from <laughs> with, what you just yes, said there. Yes, there. Um, like, I wonder, uh, uh, I was just going to ask you, when you were in the concentration camp, so these were the, the prisoners that yeah, were the, coming up to you that were... Well, no, they were there. Yeah. And we were in the camps, but you felt embarrassed because you were well-dressed, you were fed. <laughs> you were yeah. privileged. You really? were very privileged, yes. And this, to me, was, you know, it's like being on the stage and performing, and then you're looking at the audience, and they're all applauding at you. But they're there, right? It's the only one situation where I was very much overcome with the situation. And you would have been 17, 18 at the time? 17, yeah. Of course, we were conscripted there, everybody. And but were you there as a soldier? Oh, yes, I was a sergeant. Oh, okay. So I was a sergeant was with the Allied War Crimes Commission. But the war was over now, and you and guys It were was the last, about the last two days of it. Okay. So were you, I mean, you know, there's some of that it's famous concentration camp footage, right? Did you shoot some no, of that? No, no. Mine, I was stills then. They okay. gave, they saw I'd been a cameraman, so they, they gave me a still camera. Right. I, I worked with a pathologist. Okay. We had to go around and dig these people up and see how they were murdered and, mm. and did, did how... Any did anybody ask you for help? For, People anybody, ask, yeah, and any of these prisoners ask you for help? I know. No, no, no. The biggest mistake that was made when these troops first went in, they fed them, which was. You don't do that. Oh. No, that was that was one of the big mistakes. Why? You got to do it slowly. Oh, right? because they had not had any, any food, oh, and okay. and wow. and they all had light. I mean, it was, it was, a, a really embarrassing situation for a Westerner to be in, or at least I felt it was for me. So when did you first notice that the act of putting a camera up uh, well, insulated you from all that? I've covered, what, approximately between 30 and 40 conflicts. Vietnam, the Congo, Iraq, Cyprus, Northern Ireland, you name it, right? And when you're covering these things, you you use the camera as a shield mm -hmm, between mm -hmm, you and reality. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the people that stop and look at uh, an accident on the road now, right? Mm -hmm. And then they all put their little iPhones up. Well, that divorces them from the situation kind of business. It, it's interesting. Um, when you say you were embarrassed, and you're using that word a lot, in what way were you embarrassed because you were on because you were so privileged and there were these you know so were you embarrassed personally phil or as a country no i was embarrassed personally okay okay it was that's the only time that i have ever been you know the, in that situation the rest of the time covering wars you you know you just have to use the camera whether in the congo or whether you're in Mind you, you can run into what I call amusing situations. Okay. We, we, we used to cover Northern Ireland quite a lot, which was a, a terrible conflict between Protestant and Catholic. Mm -hmm. And I've always said that in Londonderry, you could take the camera out, switch your light on, and you'd get a disturbance because they were looking 
to now oh. the thing was why were there no riots between 6 and 6.30 because the yobos that had been throwing the stones at the British soldiers would go to watch themselves on television news <laughs> and they'd come back to get on the 11 o'clock news okay so okay. I did make this point I won an award for a film I shot in Ireland and when I came back to Canada the newspapers interviewed me and I said well I think sometimes the cameras are the cause mm. of the situation because they used to come up to me while I was shooting and if I I had a you know a minder who was w with me and they'd say are you Protestant or Catholic and because you never knew quite who you were talking to. You don't know what the right answer is, You right? don't know what the right answer is. You just say, oh, I'm, I'm an atheist. Are you a Catholic atheist or Protestant atheist? <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, we, you know, that would, that would kind of get rid of the situation. But when I came back to get the award, I did a newspaper article in which I said that the cameras can cause yeah. a situation. Because people are looking to get on camera to make their statements, right? And, of course, the radio and newspaper people latched onto it, and they said, ah, that's what we've always said, television. You know, their mm. radio and newspapers, they're the cause of it. CBC got very mad at me for saying this because then they got accused, right? And they said, well, I was freelance, and they said, that's it, we're finished with you. I said, okay, you know, big deal. Marshall McLuhan read the story, phoned up the CBC, and said, I'm interested in what this man is, has to say. CBC did a 180-degree turn, because mm. they had said. I Then he said, would I come and have lunch at the University of Toronto? I said, yes. And I spent an hour and a half with him, and he wanted me to write something like 30,000 words. And I said, well, I'm basically illiterate, because I didn't go to school, right? But I, I listened to McLuhan for about an hour, and the majority of it just went... Yeah, sometimes it takes a lot, uh, some time to sink in for that yeah. McLuhan stuff. But yeah. I want to kind of probe you like McLuhan would right now. <laughs> Oh, wait, I'm getting a phone call, Phil. Somebody you see else wants to ask you a question. All this media. But I want to ask you, because you mentioned that the, um, the act of putting the camera up anesthetizes you from the situation. The, from the in. reality. And then you mentioned that maybe that's doing it to our whole society. Mm -hmm. Now, what I, you know, I kind of look at it, and I, I think that um, the, the television, okay, which is how we, most of us have gotten the camera or the living in the environment where cameras are kind of ubiquitous, has held up a, a mirror to society. Um, it's, it's almost like um, unless it was on TV, it was like TV kind of had to redo everything. Everything that people had experienced now, unless it was now shown on TV, it was like a new thing. I mean, even now, it's like when I'm watching the Weather Channel, I go, hey, it's cold outside, kids. Don't forget to put on a warm coat. Like, you know, I don't need some weatherman to tell me that, you know? Yeah. It's like, uh, it, but it's holding this mirror up to society. And I, I think, I could, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but my sense is that there's less violence 
on the streets today than there may, might have been 50, 60 years ago, in Toronto, for example? Possibly, yes. But um, we've become maybe anesthetized to violence, I think. In but a not sense. to real violence. I mean, most people really don't want to get involved in, in real violence, right? Because maybe t- I, I'm almost thinking that TV makes it so horrific that they've s- they don't want to experience it in real life because they've seen enough of it on TV. Or is it less violent? Are you seeing less violence because your standard has lowered and it, it's not deemed as violent anymore? Good question, Sandra. Yeah, it's I don't possible. Know, Phil. It's possible. What, um, what I wonder is... You know, you you put you put this camera in front of you, and you say that the shield goes up. And yes. so it's almost like a psychological barrier as well. Correct. Yes. Did you ever have to deal with post-traumatic stress when you came back? Because I can imagine. No, because I looked on wars as the theater of the macabre. I mean, they really were. If you ever covered, I mean, Vietnam was the th- was the literal theater of the macabre. You have to have a sense of humor all the time. Now, that's important. I mean, I've covered 30, 40 wars, and somebody said, well, why don't you have, what is it, P, what's it called? PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's because I've looked on these conflicts, as I say, as the, they are macabre. They are not real, right? War, unfortunately, in my opinion, is... Um, just part of human nature. I mean, we've been warring with each other for so many years that it's become... I mean, look at America today. Mm. We've, uh, in my lifetime, they've um, they've always had some kind of war mm. to keep the industrial complex going, right? So there's, it's been in, in the World War II, Vietnam, Panama, Grenada, uh, Iraq—you know, you name it. They've there's there's always been some kind of war going on. So, do you think that will always be, Phil? You think it will never stop? Do you well, think we'll yes. ever reach be- a level where we'll say okay enough? I mean, I'm doing trying to do a documentary at the moment called In Search of God, in mm. which I maintain that everybody has God on their side. I mean, you cover the Irish, Protestant versus Catholic, same God. You look at every can every American coin. What does it say on it? In God we trust. Yes, ISIS believes in God. The Germans during World War Two had to swear every every soldier and civil servant had to swear allegiance to Adolf Hitler. The opening line of their allegiance is not to Hitler; it's to God. So they had. I mean, the Germans firmly had God on their side. Or so they believed. Well, yes. It wasn't an unreligious country, right? They they really had God on their side. And so do the Americans, and so does ISIS have God on their side. And if you cover any wars, Cyprus, Turks, Cypriots, Muslims against um, Greek Cypriot Christians, right? Every war I've covered has, you know, I mean... Way back since Henry, Henry the Fifth, no Henry the Sixth, was it in his in his charge? You know, here's for God and England, kind of. And are we we're trying to interview um, American um, down at West Point, the um, 
the ministers. We want to interview all the religious leaders, and Toronto is a good place to find them because there is every religion mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. world in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So Protestant, Catholic, um, Jewish, um, Hindu, you name it. Mm -hmm. But they've all had this firm belief that God is on their side. So you're you're writing a book? No, it? no, we're trying to do a documentary on it. Okay. And so really, in the point of the documentary, is that underneath the war, it's all the same? We're all fighting for the same reason? Well, they've all got God on their side. I mean, about 20 years ago, I did a, I did a one for um, TV Ontario called In Search of God. Okay. But we traveled to Israel and... Los Angeles and Boston, but that was for the Jewish religion. That wasn't for um, all religions. Right, right. So in this case, we want to look at it from a different point of view. We want to encase all the religions who firmly believe that God is on their side. And then when they go into battle, look at the shots of the chaplains blessing the troops. Hmm. You know, we just had a, uh, a guy on the show like a couple of weeks ago who's actually speaking to God and God's answering back on a day-to-day -day basis. Like yes. conversations to, with God with Neil Donald Walsh uh, kind of thing? Kind of similar idea, okay. but uh, this guy, I'm not sure how sincere Neil Donald Walsh is, but this okay. guy was really sincere. Oh, yes, of course. They are the, I mean, they are all sincere. I mean, look at the, look, I mean, the Irish one, what, 400 years of Protestant and Catholic fighting each other. I mean, mm. that's one of the longest battles that has been going on. And, and it's still going on. It was slightly, yes. And it's just a little bit, I think, right? It's very difficult because <laughs> we, um, Canada took in a whole bunch of Catholic and Protestant children to get them away from the war and brought them to Canada. And they all got on very, very well together. And then they sent them back to Ireland. We went back five years later, and all the the friendliness that they developed in, in, in Canada disappeared when Get they went back. Of course, they learned it from their parents. It was passed down from one generation to the other. Is it still going on then today or no? What, the, yes. Well, the IRA just had a big... Um, they had a thing in Dublin, right? I mean, that's... That's been going on. Uh, you can the Turkish and Cypriot thing will eventually be solved, right? Whether we'll ever solve the thing between the West and so-called Christianity and Muslims, who both firmly believe that God is on their side. Well, that's getting increasingly complex now uh, with you know large numbers of Muslims moving into Western Europe, right? I mean, it's, um, it's more complicated than just religion. It's, uh, it's Culture. cultural, and it's uh, in Europe, of course, unlike Canada, you've got those, those cultures that have been there forever, yes. and now they're dealing with this influx. In Canada, we're all new, right? So it's yes. a little easier to deal uh, we're with We're all here. immigrants. Yeah. At least easier for us. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know but it's, it's an interesting observation, though, that those kids were fine here. 
and then they go back yes. and they revert right back because yeah, of the influence of the about, parents. Yeah, so they reverted back um, because they got the input from their parents, right? Now that's a real statement on the programming, though, eh? And the yeah. brainwashing. It's no. very difficult to... Um, to break. Yeah. No. We can't keep this interview going forever because uh, we, we have more guests and stuff. But, Phil, while we've got you here, let's talk a little bit about your experience with Yoko Ono. Oh, I first met Woo! her in uh, 62 when I was stationed in um, Tokyo. Now, how did you meet her? I went to rent her apartment. Oh, she had an ad in the paper? I forget. We I somehow <laughs> think it wasn't an ad in the paper. No, she wasn't married to John Lennon. She was married to a man called Fox, Foxy Cox. And, um, Who is that? Is he well, that was her husband at the time. Was he in media? No, 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 no. We, 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 we had a nickname for him. But, um. So, okay, so, <laughs> all right. So you were going to, she was renting an apartment. Yes, you were so go that, that's how I got to know her in, in Vietnam, I mean in Tokyo. Then we went, both went back to London. Okay. And we redid our kinship there. And she had always said to me that, um, you know, when people moon people with their bottoms, right. she thought people had a, that was one way of showing your respect or disrespect for what was going on. And she said she always wanted to make a film by showing people's rear ends. Now, we do have some of that on film. Let's just keep talking. But maybe show some of the some of the film uh, while we're doing that. And I guess this is a famous film. You say everybody. It's in called fi Film Number Four. Yeah, and you're saying that uh, people in film school. Four. Uh, four by Yoko Ono. Here we go. So you were on the now, camera here. Or? Now listen, we mm -hmm. made the original film, and it was bought by a Greek company who yeah. made it into 35. This film was shot after mine because they didn't, Yoko lost the rights to it, right? Oh, oh. Now so is, this so is this Oh, Anthony Cox, that's the name, yes. Oh. Anthony did, Cox, Did yeah. we see your name there? No, because this film was shot after mine. Oh, that's, now, that's all it was, so you couldn't tell whether it was male or female. We put an advertisement in the London Times for people to come and have their bottoms photographed. Those were the good old days, right, Phil? And uh, a thousand people turned up. Really? Yes. To show, so their, to show their bottom. That's right. Hugh, yes. would you stand in line to do that? Because it must have been a lineup. Did you well, have to no, stand well, bottomless and line up? No, what we did was we tried filming it by tracking, right? And it, and it didn't work. So we got a, 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 a thing that they stand on and they walked and they had their hands on a bar and the camera was actually shot on a 16 millimeter Bolex. Just one lamp. I mean, it, was, it was very crude. <laughs> well, that's pretty fitting, actually. <laughs> and we interviewed everybody and gave everybody, um, um, not a title, but we, sh but we use their voice over on it anyway. But and it's a famous <laughs> film. No. I well, want to know. I right? want to know. Did people have to sign a release form? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, we didn't bother with releases. If you're coming to take your trousers down or lift your skirt up, <laughs> a release is the last thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would you recognize your own butt? I don't know. No, of course not. <laughs> I don't. I have a feeling. I have a feeling some people would. I think. No, you couldn't tell whether, whether that was male or female, could you? I could. This is true. 
You could. I would love, see, I would love for you to do a test and, and have it, you know, an audience and say, okay, number one, and then people write male or female, and then mark it no, afterwards. You couldn't, no, see. we were very careful in what we shot. So you saw four pieces of flesh. It was meant to be something like the Andy Wall film, Warhol film. It was meant ah. to be. But was this after Warhol then? Uh, before Warhol. Before, so. Yes. Right wow. now. So, so I'm explaining the kind of genre that these films were made under, right? That was in the heyday of the op art, the pop art, That's right, right? yes, yeah. Now, uh, what you were uh, telling us before that at one point you were in Moscow during the Soviet period. Yes, and, 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 they, and right. they came up, we were filming in the school that... Um, trains cameramen and they said we know your name and I said how come and they said well we used to show film number four as the epitome of western decadence and that was it and um, so I'm famous for western decadence if no, nothing that's else what I wanted to ask well that's you. embarrassing I'm kidding <laughs> why <laughs> if Sienna, what's you're more embarrassing that or what you were talking about earlier <laughs> so what do you I mean you know that's quite an accusation um and uh, what does that, what does that mean, in terms of is is it Western decadence? What does that mean, Western decadence? Oh, uh, God or knows what the communists would thought was Western decadence. They were the past masters at that kind of um, publicity, if you want to call it, of using oh. film and. Um, for propaganda purposes, well, well, it was propaganda, right? Well, they were they liked the Nazis because the Nazis also they tried to um, certain kinds of art forms were frowned upon, you know, like uh, abstract art. Well, in my terms, Dr. Joseph Goebbels was the beginner of what he was called the mother of Madison Avenue. He used film and in such a way that turned the German public against the Jews. Mm -hmm. He used it very successfully. He was, he was really a past master. He was one of the great masters of propaganda. Well, and uh, what about that Lenny uh, Riefenstahl, uh, the filmmaker? That oh, the woman. Yeah. Yes, well, that's different. I mean, she made that brilliant film on the Olympics, right? Yeah. Um, but Goebbels himself was the past master and the Russians also. Now, Western nations didn't use film for that kind of propaganda. The only reason that we used it, the Americans or the British, was to rally around the flag. It was patriotism, mm -hmm. right? Let's go to war, let's fight the Japanese, let's fight the Germans, let's... It was all that kind of propaganda. The Germans and the Russians used their propaganda in a much different way. Mm -hmm. And as I say, Goebbels was really the past master. I mean, he basically turned the German population against the Jewish population. They were not against it. They were ambivalent, but but he was a, a past master of using film as a... He used it in the newsreels to begin with, right? It's almost like they, the Nazis and the Russians, had this real top-down... Well, they learned the from top. each other. Yeah. Mm. There's a marvelous book came out called the relationship between Moscow and Berlin. They reckon that the, <coughs> they learnt off each other for extermination. Now, they're not doing that in the West? 
right? I mean, it, we still have this idea that we can't have culture dictated from the top That's down. Right. Yes. But then, but on the other hand, we do use it in advertising. As oh a yeah, kind of, of commercial propaganda yes, yes. in every way. Yeah. Um, mm. Is there? Uh, I mean, what do you think of that as a filmmaker? Are you in? Well. You know, are you involved in that? What, in commercials? Yes. Well, yeah. I, I've done the top line for General Motors. I mean, I mean, I worked for them for a very short time, for about two years. I left the business, and we started. I started working for um, General Motors through Gabor Communications on a thing called um, La Auto. We made a bi-weekly reel for television um, showing we could shoot any story in Ontario that had a connection to General Motors. There isn't anything that happened in the 80s and 90s that General Motors didn't have an attachment to. And it was amazing. They were, I mean, if they had a problem, their idea of covering up a problem was to shovel money on it. That's the idea of crisis management. That's crisis management. Yeah, right? that's crisis management, yes. Okay, we're just about out of time, well, I, I Phil. Have a question, yeah, but I still want to ask him another question, too, but go. Okay, okay, so we're going to compete for asking you questions. Yeah. Um, so, it, what I wanted to ask was I mean, you've been in this business for so long, you have, I'm sure, seen changes not only in the technology, but also in the perception of the media and, and the integrity of it. And would you say, first of all, that the integrity has gone down? Because I know in journalism it has, but from a cameraman perspective, has well, integrity everybody's gone Everybody's a camera person, not a cameraman. This, that's okay, a, okay that camera person. No, everybody. so, so everybody's got one of these. Yeah. Okay. So they become produ producers, directors. I, during the Olympics in England, they made a, th a thing to shoot the best documentary. It was one by a Japanese who shot it all on an iPhone. You know, Phil, mine's wow. 4K. Did you know that? Oh, yes, yeah, 4K. I mean, I can shoot a feature film on this. I, it's nice. And does that scare you? No, not particularly. I mean, but everybody becomes a reporter of some kind or other, whereas before we, we, we relied on the newspapers and the television to report. Now it's instantaneous. Now the Internet, of course, has taken over. Forget television, mm -hmm. right? But, you know, now mm -hmm. I think it's mm -hmm. like... It's like because everybody can do this, the value of all that stuff being shot is is going down. It's, it's like, how about the experiencing it? Forget about having it on film. Like I'm experiencing it. It's part of my personal, my life, right? Yeah. Rather than, as you say, and you never know what's the, the truth action. because now with this and a computer, I can shoot a situation, take it to a computer, and alter it completely. Yes, and make yeah. it look like something completely different. And I can different. make it look like yeah. something completely different. Yeah. Whether or not the public are going to believe it or not is another question. Okay, Phil, one more question. And that is that uh, because you knew Yoko Ono personally, yeah. because a lot of people, um, some people actually say that she was John Lennon's handler. You know that the Beatles... No, no, untrue. 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 I think Yoko Ono... You know, they had an exhibition of all her paintings and things at the, at, the, at the museum a few years ago. She's a great original artist, oh, a yeah. very, very good one. Being married to John Lennon is like being married to Jesus Christ. You, any hope 
of being recognized in your Beyond own that. field, forget it. She is one of the original artists, and she's very good at it. She has a lot of works. I have a couple of her things. She did a, a thing in England called Paint it in the cut it in half and paint it white. That's everyday objects cut in half, and that's where John met her at an exhibition that she gave. And um, I have a, uh, this, of course, everybody says, well, her art is original. I have a, what is it, a, about this wide and about four feet long, a piece of plexiglass. It's absolutely plain. It's about four feet by three feet, and you can hang it up, and it's clear, it's about this thick. But written on the bottom is a picture to let the evening light go through. Uh -huh. And everybody sees and says, I could have done that. Sure. I said, yes, but why didn't you? <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's when you did it too, right? It's when we did it, yeah. yeah. Now, are you still in touch with her today? Occasionally, yes. Is she's she doing shows today? She, uh, well, she, I mean, She's as pretty a much singer, retired? Oh. <laughs> we you didn't see that. We no, 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 we that. didn't see that. We won't go into that. But, yeah. okay. um, no, no. I, meant, I meant art, art. As an artist, no, she's a very good original artist. Is she doing galleries? Or yes, well, the, she got some job in England of uh, an art director somewhere or other. So she's, as I say, but me, if you're married to John Lennon, your chance of she's being recognized <laughs> yourself is is a, is is difficult. Always in the shadow. I think that's a really good point. So she wasn't his handler for MK Ultra purposes. No, and I don't like think that. she was a cause of the breakup of the Beatles no. either. No, no. I've not heard that. That's first. Wow. And Paul McCartney, he's the real Paul McCartney. He's I've never. The only one I met was John. Okay. <laughs> all right, Phil. This has been great. Thanks for doing this. Thank I know you. we could stay here all day and just. Uh, hear some more great stories but okay, thanks for doing thank it. you thank you so much i hope this is one of the interviews you remember yes i <laughs> hope so anyway hope you get some phone calls okay we're going to take a little break here on liquid lunch we'll be back with more right after this that channel.com